what got me here is that the dairy industry uh, since 2008 has spent over a hundred million dollars lobbying the federal government, like incredible amount of money doing this. Yeah, George, that's a lot of lobbying. Like big, big milk is, is flexible. Would you say that's a lot of milk, milk money? money? Yes. Yes. Got it in there. <laughs> Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the Nonprofit News Feed brought to you by Whole Whale. Well, we have some news about how some asylum seekers in New York were left stranded. NGO news coming out of Niger and how Big Milk may be battling and losing against some nonprofits in the U.S. How's it going, Nick? It's going great, George. We actually want to start this week on the podcast talking about a story that hits close to home. And this is about asylum seekers left stranded outside of a hotel in Midtown Manhattan. So New York has seen an unprecedented influx of migrants in need of assistance over the past couple of years, as has a lot of the country. But that trend has culminated in a high profile debacle, if you will, outside the Roosevelt Hotel, where migrants were left stranded on the sidewalk. So you have this historic Midtown Hotel with about 100 to 200 migrants just living on the sidewalk for a week. So throughout last week, images of over 150 migrants sleeping out of the sidewalk in the apparently full Midtown Hotel sparked national media attention as New York City Mayor Eric Adams' office declared the emergency shelter beds full. So this comes as New York City's actually converted over uh, 200 buildings or created 200 shelters for such migra- migrants. Uh, New York City's housing approximately 56,000 migrants in shelters around the city, both within the existing shelter system as well as in new emergency shelters that were pet- set up. Um, these shelters have endured widely reported poor conditions. But All these migrants, after the city declared them full, suddenly, apparently late at night on Wednesday, were gone, ended up in systems. They seem to have been relocated with the help of faith-based advocacy nonprofits and organizations. And the city says that additional emergency shelters are going to be coming online in McCarran Park, as well as in the Sunset Park neighborhood of Brooklyn, which is in addition to the 200 locations serving migrants. So while those migrants were kind of waiting on the sidewalk, it kind of created a PR media frenzy um, as you have all these people just kind of waiting in the middle of Midtown uh, in a way that's really emblematic of the challenges of dealing with the migrant crisis in a humane way. There were lots of local community migrant nonprofits um, and other advocates giving out food and water throughout the week but exacerbating this crisis is that New York, New York State, according to New York Governor Kathy Hochul, estimates that there's approximately a housing shortage of approximately 800,000 units. So essentially, um, this migrant crisis is being exacerbated by the fact that there, there is not nearly enough housing in the state of New York, let alone the city of New York. Some criticism of the Adams administration has been 
that the mayor's office used this as some something of a publicity stunt to spark media attention to try to get federal funds to the city to help deal with the crisis. Most of these migrants have been uh, integrated into the city system by the city itself. So, George, you have a lot at play here. It's a really, really tough situation, right? You want to get people that help quickly and humanely. Many of those migrants likely qualify for asylum, um, which means they have a legal right to be here if they're claiming persecution. It's a sticky situation. And it seems that yet again, nonprofits and advocates were kind of the last line of defense for these migrants as they kind of were left on the sidewalk for days while the city claimed that they couldn't do anything. Yeah, I just, you know, I guess some stats here is that more than 56,000 asylum seekers are currently staying in the New York City's homeless shelters, representing, according to their reports, roughly half of the total shelter population, according to stats they released. And, you know, they're, they're getting something like, you know, just on July 24th to July 30th, 2,300 new arrivals. And so, you know, they're opening up shelters seemingly as quickly as they can. But the, the clear it's clear when you, you reach capacity or potential capacity that things like this will happen. And you hope that it isn't being used as a political stunt, as we have seen in the past by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis literally sending in a plane, tricking, misleading immigrants to this country into you know places like Martha's Vineyard for a political stunt. Um, we shouldn't be using humans as political fodder. It there's nothing definitive in here to say it, but these pictures are rough, um, and it's a it's a sharp juxtaposition seeing people sleeping inside of like you know stanchions in front of hotels in the middle of New York City, and I think as a net. It is bringing real attention to where it needs to be is saying like, we need a, a real solution and not a stopgap. It needs to be at a policy level. It needs to be at a placement level. And it needs to be front and center for when we are thinking about, to your words, humanely allowing people into this country at you know a pace and distribution that works for the city's infrastructure, for the country's nonprofits, which will, you know, clearly, if you are at capacity and you're being asked to take in, you know, thousands, tens of thousands more folks in a tight time period, the administration needs to support that with money and resources. Yeah, George, I think that's exactly right. We just need more resources. And the, the city is just kind of not designed to absorb this number of people. And quite frankly, we need assistance. And and the housing, by the way, that housing, that is not a long-term solution, <laughs> right? The New York City shelter system no. is notoriously terrible. Like that, those are those people, just because they may be in that system does not mean that they are safe or comfortable. So there, there needs to be some kind of long-term solution here. And political stunts are not going to be that solution. So what we need is national immigration reform, but... We'll save that for another podcast. <laughs> Until then, we get Midtown Hotels. Until then, yeah. George, I want to take us into our next story. And this one comes from VanityFair.com. And it's quite an interesting one. It is that Harry and Meghan of British royal or ex-royal fame have announced the winners of $2 million in grants for responsible technology. So the couple's foundation called Archwell, named after their son Archie, 
is a founding member of the Responsible Technology Youth Power Fund. And in a video, they share their conversations with um, some of the grant winners. One of the grant winners was Emma Lemka, who is co-chair of the Internet Safety Advocacy Organization Design It For Us, who said that the Duke and Duchess and all of their work have been pivotal in moving so many social issues forward and bringing visibility to a lot of important areas and specifically responsible tech. So these grants are particularly going to organizations to make the internet safer, countering disinformation, online harms, particularly as it relates to protecting youth in those spaces. So we love to see it. We don't, you know, this is, we don't usually report on kind of like grants like this, but I think it's really interesting that two royals, for example, are now are making responsible technology and digital safety for children um, a center point of their kind of philanthropic, their philanthropic work. Yeah, we usually don't report on things that are in that caliber. It really takes a, a Mackenzie Scott size check to to bring it to our attention. However, I think it is interesting with celebrity of their caliber and weight and importance to be looking at this focused issue of internet safety, especially in the backdrop of what we have been seeing, which are these uh, GPT LLMs, large language models being exposed to uh, youth in a chat arena and a social arena without regulation oversight or even the very basic safety regulations that I think must be in place. So I'm hoping that they continue their work and expand what it means in a chat first ecosystem for information and social exchange. Also, any excuse to talk about the Royals, right? <laughs> George, are you a, a Royal watcher? I Yeah, I watched the entire, what was it, on Netflix. Um, I haven't read the book, but, you know, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I was converted in there. If nothing, endless entertainment. Fodder yeah. for conversation. All right, well... I have absolutely no good segue into this, but our next story is about milk. Speaking of royals, how about milk? There you go. How about milk? So this comes from OpenSecrets.org, which is a great organization. On They report out financial transparency around politicians, nonprofits, advocacy organization, just uh, a great data transparency organization. And they're doing a reporting on deep-pocketed dairy continuing its approach war on plant-based milk as FDA hears comments on new draft guidance. So the FDA has essentially asserted that plant-based milk substitutes, so soy milk, rice milk, etc., can continue to use milk on label. The industry, however, the milk industry is not pleased with this. They say it's not milk. Um, and uh, have spent $1.8 million on lobbying in the second quarter of 2023. So, George, what uh, does this mean for nonprofits? What's the nonprofits? No, so like, I feel like you're burying the lead. What got me here is that the dairy industry uh, since 2008 has spent over $100 million lobbying the federal government. Like, incredible amount of money doing this. And not to say that there aren't companies on the other side on the, you know, plant-based alternatives, but I think this gets into a, for nonprofits, alternative options 
animal-free, animal cruelty narratives that I think have been uh, long fought against industry farming mechanisms. And so this is a big win to, you know, allow this branding and also remind people that like, just because you make milk doesn't mean you own the category from an animal. <laughs> you don't, you don't own what an egg is. You don't own what, you know, milk is in the sense that humans have been after it for, you know, since, uh, since the dawn of farming, but so much money. And I think it was just delightful to see, you know, reason prevail in spite of a huge lobbying budget. I, I feel like it's rare. Yeah, George, that's a lot of lobbying. Like big, big milk is, is flexible. Would you say that's a lot of milk, milk money? money? Yes. Yes. Got it in there. <laughs> the other reason, there the other reason yeah. he had to put this in there. There you go. Yeah, no, it's it's truly. I'm I'm a milk drinker. You know, I, I was raised was raised on milk, but um, you know, I also support plant based alternatives. Um, no, I'm, I'm well, lactose so. I'm lactose intolerant, so I'm here for the good works of the Good Food Institute and Plant Based Foods Association, the the nonprofits that were were working for plant based milk products. I'm a I'm a oat milk all the way. I feel like I'm big oats. Big oat. Oh, okay. Big oat. All yeah, right. We'll have to big get oat. big milk people in a room. They can they can fight instead of Musk and Zuckerberg. I'm actually much more big oat. I'm anti almond milk. I go after those folks. I just think it's a wildly inefficient thing to to produce milk from almonds. Don't do that. <laughs> mm. If you're listening and you happen to work for an advocacy, <laughs> work. Uh, you can tell George is going to work hard for you. Contact us. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I am going to take us into our next story. This one comes from rescue.org, which is the website of the International Rescue Committee, which is a large humanitarian organization. Um, and they issued a press release where NGOs have warned of further instability and sanctions that could exacerbate humanitarian needs um, of the most vulnerable, including women and children in Niger. So Niger is a country that's already been affected by multiple crises. There was a coup a couple of weeks ago, and the combinations of sanctions and conflicts with the existing vulnerabilities in Niger could have devastating effects on the lives of over 4.4 million people in the country already in need of humanitarian assistance. So we just wanted to highlight this because it's actually really interesting. And I think that there's actually a lot to learn from U.S. organizations when they think about how international organizations often work together. So there's a lot of organizations that have signed on to this this morning, this press release. And I think a lot of these organizations are really used to, to working with each other, but are essentially sounding the alarm on crisis in Niger as instability in the region increases. Last week, we talked about the fears around return of ethnic cleansing via the civil war in Sudan. So, you know, Niger on the other side of the continent, but still instability in the region uh, ferments further instability. So want to keep an eye on this one um, and we'll continue to report out um, on humanitarian emergencies um, on the African continent, uh, especially because I think just via the nature of, of our world, these controversies, uh, not controversies, these um, emergencies get less and less attention. So I think we want to do our part, um, if not, uh, to just call them out um, on the podcast. I really going back to the folks that have 
been signatories on this. I really like it when nonprofits pull in partners, competitors. Sure, we have no competitors out here, but pull in other organizations to act with uh, one voice. I think it brings a lot more. But on the signatories included here are folks like Save the Children, uh, a former client of ours, Concern Worldwide, who we've done work with, and groups like Mercy Corp, Oxfam, World Vision, Care International. This is a way to raise uh, the sort of elevated attention to, I think, the, the nuance, which is um, don't sanction aid workers, aid activity, humanitarian efforts. Sanctions are that sort of economic political weapon to show that you do not support the activities of a government, of an administration. That's fine. But when it comes down to humanitarian work, I think it's important to make that distinction. Yeah, George, I think that that's a good, that's a good, uh, that's a good point. You actually bring up a point of uh, kind of complication in this, which is the United States government, uh, essentially by law, um, does not cooperate with uh, juntas so or, or regimes that have taken over in a coup as to not legitimize them. That makes that really complicated, though, when you're applying things like sanctions. The U.S. also has a military presence in the country. Um, huge uh, kind of like autonomous um, anti-terrorism organizations and like drone programs. Uh, so there's a whole layer of this from the American military policy side. Um, and I think just for your point, uh, making sure that there's exemptions for humanitarian NGOs and aid um, and that these organizations, actually the letter states, um, they say we as independent and neutral humanitarian organizations, um, just acknowledging that uh, there should be no politics on providing humanitarian aid to people on the ground. Great. What do we have for feel good? All right, George. Um, I got a good one. Um, George, if you live in Texas, uh, particularly in Austin, and you have gone for a walk in some parks, you may notice something interesting. Um, so this Austin nonprofit has used goats to manage invasive plants along Lady Bird Lake trail. So uh, the nonprofit, The Trail Conservancy, um, launched its Goats on the Trail initiatives, clean up poison ivy and other invasive plants on the trail. So um, the vegetarian, uh, they're doing vegetation management with goats along the 10 mile loop around Ladyburg Lake and the surrounding 110 acres of natural areas in the parkland. Um, and this is definitely a clean and natural way uh, to keep <laughs> the area Maybe they even cut grass. I don't know. Um, these these goats are uh, the real goats um, doing uh, work on the ground, um, helping the environment and making uh, public land accessible for everyone. I love this as an organic solution. Goats doing the work here for sure is a um, a funny thing to see. Uh, we we get it. I saw it a lot in San Francisco actually, where randomly we, my kid would be like, "There's goats." I was like, "No." I was like, "Oh my god, they're goats." Um, so they're very much uh, can be, should be used in major cities. Fun to see that story. Thanks, Nick. Before we get to our uh, inevitable joke, uh, a good reminder here that if you are looking for fundraising campaign support, if you're looking for accounting or campaign guidance, board development, nonprofitist, nonprofit.ist is a great source of vetted consultants. They've been in the game for over five years and recently released a report showing how much 
based on the different types of consultants you are looking for, how much the going rates are depending on a number of variables. So if you're wondering, is $150 too much, too little, either to charge or to spend, there are great benchmark resources just to begin at nonprofit.ist. All right, Nick, question for you. What did Dentists Without Borders give to the Volunteer of the Year? Oh, boy. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, they gave a little plaque. A what? A little plaque. A little... Well, here's hoping you're brushing your teeth. Thanks for making it to the end. See you, Nick. See you, George. <laughs> this has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 